Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And this episode is our penultimate episode because we're going to bring Tea and Biscuits to a close because it's been going for over a year and all good things must end. So I wanted to save the best for last. And today I'm talking to my friend and chair of the Wise Children board, Claire Reddington. Hi, Claire. Hello, Emma. That's a lot of biscuits that you've eaten over over lockdown, clearly. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, and I have eaten a lot of biscuits and all sorts of other things over lockdown. Um, it's brilliant to have you here and it felt really fitting um, to talk to you because you've been with us right from the start and you're a massive part of the Wise Children story and nobody ever talks about boards. It, they don't. In the background. Yeah, um, and, and maybe that's part of the joy of, of it, actually. For loads of people who spend quite a lot of time in their actual professional lives, do it like being in the foreground. Part of the joy of being on a board is that you're sort of quietly championing and um, advocating for and looking after other people. So when you asked me to do this, I had a sort of massive crisis of confidence because, because in the, like with my wise children hat on, I never really speak. Uh, that's really interesting. So before we carry on, um, tell us what your day job is. Yeah, my day job is that I'm CEO of Watershed. So it's a cultural cinema and sort of digital media lab in Bristol. It's right in the heart of Bristol. And it's a place I've worked for 14 years. I'm really thinking about the power and the possibility of technology in creative arts. So you've got a massive job. It's just worth saying you have a huge job. You're very important in the landscape of the Bristol Arts. And yet you have found the capacity to silently and generously support this tiny company, which amazes me, actually. It amazes me the, the time and the care that you're able to carve out of an extraordinarily busy life. I guess anybody who has a busy job knows that the, the the longer you're at somewhere and the more you rise up to use like awful hierarchical kind of visual, visual imagery in an organisation, the further away you get from the stuff you love, like art and joy and making things, because that's sort of other people's jobs. You've got to let them do stuff. So for me, Wise Children and, and working with you, Emma, just like brings me closer to joy and magic and possibility. So it's such I like it's such an amazing treat I'm, I'm just delighted that I get to do it <laughs> that's a fantastic way of looking at it because all I see is the board meetings and the the budgets that you look through and I, I have to say they don't inspire joy in me to quote Marie Kondo that that is a that I mean of course that's true. Being a trustee has its own sort of bureaucratic um, headspace, and lots of that is pretty boring and infuriating because the the world of charities commission and company law is sort of curiously inflexible, or curiously and, and not very innovative. So we are required to do stuff in a particular way, but I guess also. Um, it's always learning isn't it like being engaged intimately with another organization you're always learning about how other other people approach that what they think what we discuss in board meetings it's all difference and differences like the joy and the um and the energy of being in the culture sector speaking of joy and energy how's it been running a massive organization through lockdown paint a picture of what it's like I feel like you balance so much on your shoulders and I sort of can't imagine how hard it's been to navigate the when nothing has been certain how are you doing 
I think like everybody, I'm pretty trashed right now in in the sense of the third lockdown has hit everybody a little bit harder than um, than others. And maybe that's, I, I feel a very clear sense of dissonance. Like there's possibility opening up in the sector again. We can see the end of, um, the end of lockdown, people coming back together. People are starting to launch their programs. Watershed is thinking of opening up. Um, we hope we're opening up. Um, and yet it all seems really far away and uncertain still. We still we know that social distancing will continue to sort of ravage the culture sector in terms of our ability to make money. Um, and so so it's hard. But um, but I guess like everyone, likewise children, it's been a year of um of extremely difficult decisions and of awful, awful things around thinking about people and money and how we how we get through stuff and also massive innovation and togetherness um there's the kind of irony like we can't be together in public space we can't be together around art we can't you know all of the things that do bring us joy but i also feel like people have pulled together they've looked after each other people have had interesting discussions about what they hold dear and what they want the future of the sector to be and that is um that's exciting so again dissonance i feel full of potential and also like extremely tired <laughs> tired mostly yesterday i thought about what did i most want i don't think we've had a chance to think about what we want very much we've been reacting to the world and what i really wanted was to skive off <laughs> uh, and, and that skiving is not a, a holiday isn't skiving the skiving has to be naughty like you, you have to sort of bunk off not tell anyone hang your jacket on the back of your chair and go and get drunk in the sunshine <laughs> I think you should do that. I think you should. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. All I was thinking about, but the moment has passed, is all I wanted was dinner. I really just wanted to go out for dinner. That was my tiny dream for such a long time, but I've managed it now. Freezing cold outside, but it was still cooked by somebody else. Yeah, I have a, um, a dinner booking on Friday night, which I expect will be freezing cold, but will be is something that I'm really, really relishing. Although I've loved cooking during lockdown, that that has been for me the the like. I don't know something about a ritual or a heartbeat like what shall I eat what shall I cook I've become obsessed with sous chef the um cooking ingredients website and I just order stuff I don't I don't know how to cook and then I try and have my own adventure but I guess also I trap usually I travel a lot and it's been rubbish not traveling I don't that sense of constraints tell me about your first music choice and why you've chosen it well, my first music choice is, um, this was really hard. Talking to you, Emma, about music has filled me with fear and inadequacy because I feel like I don't have the um, the words. I'm not, like, music isn't part of my dialect, I guess. Um, and so, so I found it really hard, but I wanted to think about theatre. And I guess I wanted to think about my relationship with theatre. And I was laughing because I always say I hate musicals. Uh, and then I go, apart from, and then I've got a list of about 100 musicals I really love. And so I think it's not true that I hate musicals, but perhaps something, I studied um, drama at Birmingham and it was quite a difficult, difficult thing for me because I went to Birmingham thinking I wanted to work probably as an actor and within about two weeks it became incredibly clear to me that I wasn't up to it and I didn't really want it um, and so I sort of became involved in in stage management and and lighting and technology which which suited me much better um, but but I, I think I was a bit snobby about theatre. I think I thought like Chekhov was proper theatre and I didn't like musicals. Um, and also it was, none of my friends did drama at university. I found it quite difficult to make friends with drama students. Um, I was quite good at helping them with their homework, but I wasn't really their friend. So all of my great friends did sensible things like languages or, or electrical engineering. Um, and so I chose Tristan and Isolde because, um, because I remember so 
clearly sitting in Bristol Old Vic, seeing this production just after I graduated from university. So I don't, you probably know the year better than me, but it was maybe like 22 years ago. Um, and, and, I, and it was the first thing, maybe it was later than that, but it was the first thing I'd invited my friends from university to see. I was in Bristol and they'd all come from all around the world. And, uh, and we went to see your production and I was so nervous. I think we'd gone to see something at the ENO together before and we all left in the interval because it was so awful um, and so I was really nervous and I can just remember this collective feeling of joy coming across, coming over the faces of my friends and we left the theatre together and we were all brimming with this adventure and possibility and excitement and how great it was and we'd all just seen something brilliant together um, and that, that sense of togetherness and joy which is so present in all of your work but also in everything we've missed in the last year where we haven't been able to see it. So I chose um, this, this, this piece of music from a play that I've seen many times since and always bloody loved. Brilliant. This is the Mambo from Tristan and Isilt. sung by a woman called Ima Sumak. <laughs> Amazing and voice. When, when did, did, you, did you find that piece of music after? Like, how did that piece of music come in? Because it goes all the way through, doesn't it? It like weaves yes. in and out of the whole production. Well, that was, I was working with my long-term collaborator and Bristolian, Stu Barker, and we honestly used to exchange um, mixtapes with each other constantly. And he'd be like, oh, Emma, have you heard this mumbo? <laughs> and it's just intoxicating. And of course, you know, Nihai are 
amongst other things, a company of clowns. There is nothing Nehi likes to do more than show off and make everybody laugh. And this music, you, you can't put it on in a room of clowns without funny stuff happening so the minute you hear it you go well this will be good and it was a really it was a really great thing for Tristan Isol to have this mambo running through it because it's it's such a great counter to the deep romance and deep melancholy to sort of have this really sharp bright upbeat um, theme running through and and the bounce like it's got the bounce of the trampoline in it so I would like it that the music and and the actors are all bouncing together which I which I love and which I I mean there's that sort of image of of the lovers entwined in in the kind of rope in the middle but also the kind of comedy of the bounce which is so brilliant Oh, I love that. The con- well, I always think that. I always have to have the contra. I call it the contra. So if you have something incredibly serious, it's really nice to think where the comedy is. If you've got something very r- romantic, to think where the silliness is. And I always think it's in that if you get it right, there's a sweet spot, which is so recognisable as human beings because funny stuff does happen when you're sad and silly does stuff does happen when you're in love. And, and if you can get into the middle where you're, you don't know whether you're laughing or crying, something really magic happens. When um, we we talk loads about that in in our work at Watershed, like we call it competing tensions and the creative possibility of two things that are pulling in opposite directions. And I think that's just true in in all forms of creativity. I guess the liberation and the and the rigor of it. Oh, I could talk for hours about this because you don't want to undercut what you're doing. You don't want to say, don't be silly, this isn't sad. But to keep adding all the different layers of humanity is what what you recognise and what melts your heart. Oh, yeah. thank you for taking me back to that show. It's touched a lot of people um, and no one more than me, so I never tire of it, never. Um, yeah. Claire, I want to take us back to how we met because we were match made. We were. <laughs> we were both in the southwest. We had never met. So in the in the darkest. Well, it wasn't in the in the as wise children was being conceived. So I, it was in the wake of leaving the globe. I hadn't announced what I wanted to do, and I started putting together with Allegra Galvin, who's on our board, uh, a bid to the Arts Council to become an MPO, which is a national portfolio organisation. And it would have been unheard of, really, for an untested company to get this money. So we were working really hard to, to say, I'm the track record, Emma Rice is the track record, and we will deliver this company. So we took it incredibly seriously. And because it didn't exist, we didn't have any budgets, we didn't have a board, we didn't have anything to prove. Um, And we put together a a temporary board of advisors to help us and to give us some ballast. And you were invited onto that. And I think we met for the first time in the Royal Opera House or something ludicrous. It was. Yeah, it was the Royal Opera House. It was quite a dark room. And I remember this like labyrinth of corridors that um that it took to get to the, to get to this room. And I didn't um I just didn't know. I think it was David Job um introduced us, I think. And um and 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 you invited me to come along and I just didn't at all know. I was so excited about the possibility of it. But yeah, um I was pretty scared to be in the Royal Opera House as well. It's a very cool Because nobody knew it was a secret mission we were on because obviously we might not have got the money. I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. And we were being guided through these tiny corridors in the Royal Opera House and into this dark room. I think there was a sort of fizz, a frisson that something new was happening and that only a few people knew about it. And, and those corridors, I guess, also really perfectly in the in the visual metaphor of it, had these windows through to very large rehearsal rooms where really exciting things were happening as well, I remember. And so that the whole thing felt like that, like slivers, little chinks that you could look through and see the see the future and see something exciting. And I think it was so it was so powerful to be around a table of people who just believed in your vision, knew your work, loved your work, believed in your vision, but also wanted to fight for you and to to make the vision happen. There was a sense of injustice around around the your recent past, and 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 that people were like being part of making something more equitable, more fair, more empowering felt like a really. Um, exciting strong and important thing to do 
Um, but but we didn't know what it was either. It was like, you know, it's like your work. The sense of possibility was there. I think that's really interesting because that was one of the gifts of the globe is that to start something and it's why I decided to start something from scratch is to make something that we believed in I mean who knows what will happen in time but the the as you say a group of amazing people around a table saying okay how can we make an organization that we all believe in built on foundations that we can all sign sign up to it was really really thrilling and I remember on a more um, personal note you didn't leave straight away after the meeting we we went to the pub opposite and we got a massive bottle of wine and we laughed and chatted and I just thought this woman's bloody amazing yeah like I I agree I I remember that so fondly and I think that that's been just the gift of wise children like being a wise child is a gift of um of of passionate people who who love to sit and chat about possibility and um and and share time together and I think one of the things I love about wise children is how much everyone likes each other um it's without it becoming groupthink or without it becoming too cloying or like a mini weird Emma Rice clique actually there's just a natural sense of of really lovely people having been brought together handpicked to create something new and brilliant and different and that's um that's a testament to uh, to the strength of character that you've had to have to do that thank you and I'm very lucky all right I love everybody that I work with and it's a joy and here's to drinking wine again soon and actually being able to feel that joy as well not sort of promise it I'm well and also to do something unexpected imagine when we can do things which are unexpected everything is so sort of scheduled and transactional right now the thrill of surprise i call it we've we've forgotten it yeah, I, I agree. Every, like a Zoom is not a place for surprises. It does some things fine, and and it's it's not bad for intimacy, I think. But it's not a it's not a place to be taken off guard and to um, and to have that kind of <gasps> moment of of thrill. I'm gonna smash him with my first choice. There's a theme. I'm going full on Bristol with this oh, because you are Bristol to me. Um, you you cycle the streets and sample the wares. You always know the best restaurant to go to. You always know what where it's happening. And we set up our first office in Bristol at Spike Island, which was a short bike ride or walk from the watershed. So I will forever associate you with Bristol. And I'm going to go for Massive Attack and the classic that is Teardrop.
brilliant Bristolian massive attack with the voice of Elizabeth Fraser there from the Cocteau Twins, who's a huge heroine of mine. Um, talk to me about Bristol, because you're a Bristol girl, aren't you? Um, I, I am, although I was born in Hastings. With, um, I moved to Bristol when I was like two weeks old. Well, in fact, I moved to Nailsey, um, but I count myself as Bristolian rather than Somerset. Um, and there's not loads of people in the culture sector who run organisations who are from Bristol. And I feel like such a, a keen sense of um, of love, respect, learning for the city. Trip Hop runs through my veins, I think. Um, but it's also a city of, of contradictions and difficulties and inequalities. And so it's sort of thinking about justice in Bristol and how I can play a part in making things more equal and more fair and more inclusive and engaged is really, really important to me. But I guess, I really love the sense, the spirit of the sort of renegade and the independence of Bristol. Um, I really love the sort of authenticity of um, of people. You know, people, they try and open a big branch of a national chain in Bristol and people don't bother going because they've already got their, like, the small restaurant they go to. Or there's a riot because someone tries to bring a new Tesco's in. Um, and obviously that has its problems, but I, I love that. There's, you know, the spirit of protest, Bristol's riots in 1891, Queen Square burns um, around democracy and protest. Um, and that's still, you know, the Kill the Bill protest that's still going on today. Bristol is still taking to the streets. And to some extent, I think as a city, it's articulating what the rest of the country feels like a sense of um of urgency to to protect democracy and to be engaged and to have voices heard um and so that for me is bristol is is that and i think massive attack are a brilliant um representation of all that independent spirit and doing things differently and i love going around the world and the fact if you say you're from bristol people will go oh massive attack or banksy <laughs> that's so there's two kind of great artists shortcuts to where we live i'm happy with that i have to say that the um the toppling of the colston statue in lockdown was an absolute spiritual highlight for me i mean i cheered and i wept and at the whole event actually i i cheered at why they did it i cheered at how they did it i cheered at how it was policed um, I cheered that, like you say, Bristol's somehow at the front. And I still sort of think, why didn't everybody just go, of course he had to come down? You know, I'm still sort of surprised when people push back. But for me, it was a, it was a real bit of bravery and hope that I held on to very strongly in the year. Me too. I think the... Um then I did. I wasn't at the um, the toppling of the statue. Um, they did drag the statue past watershed, and there's sort of gouge marks on the stone outside the building as it as it went into the harbour j- just near our building. But I went down the next day to the empty plinth and all of the placards that were laid around it, like a kind of an altar, a remembering, a ritual, a a, a conversation starting point about those things we should have done in the city. Um, And those conversations have been live for a really long time, but action hadn't been taken. Um, and And it was so, I guess the vision for me is um, is about two or three days afterwards, a group of like five or six amazing young black creative females did a photo shoot in front of the empty plinth, standing like Jen Reed with her fists in the air. And it was such a moment of power and creativity that I think it will have resonance in the city for, for a really long time. It was a real moment to be proud of, a real moment to be proud of. And like you say, we knew it, that we knew, we all knew that that had to be dealt with and it hadn't been. We'd, we'd waited and fumbled it and just Bristol went, no, we're dealing with this and I love them for it. I agree. Um, what's your next record and why? <laughs> My next record is kind of um, embarrassing and goes along the lines of I don't like musicals apart from really I do. <laughs> um, and it's uh, about two years ago I got together with my partner Anna um, and and I guess I think she thought I was cooler than I am. Um, and and when we moved in together, she became like horrifically aware that I often put on 
really terrible music to start off my day like really cheesy power ballads um and in the last six months the kids from fame has been my my go-to has been um it's a particular album um that i remember having on cassette my sister and i used to listen to it and listen to it and we used to sing along to every track it's a beautiful album it's got highs it's got lows um but there's something about dancing around my bedroom to we got the power in in your pants in the morning before another lockdown smear of a day begins there's just a moment of um of just putting some energy into your bones i think so so, um, so, so, so this is the song that I play to her while she stares and kind of looks at me and shakes her head in amusement at how she ended up with someone so deeply uncool. of contradictions Claire Eddington <laughs> I know and once I asked Anna what she would put on if she needed a power ballad to get her up in the morning she doesn't really but she would put on like Aphex Twin or something <laughs> so I think our energy levels are very different in those choices I think she's very lucky to have you dancing to the kids from Fame <laughs> in the morning I think that's a fantastic way to start the day <laughs> I really highly recommend it to anyone listening Um, But it's really interesting listening to the energy of the music you choose, knowing you and knowing your energy. But some of the words that you've used, you've talked about being uncool, which is not the case, can I just say now. But you've also talked about being fearful and feeling inadequacy. And and I wouldn't mind talking to you about that as two women that that run organisations and I've run bigger organisations. That is what, no, nobody sees that in you. Nobody would choose any of those words to describe you. So talk about the difference of what you sometimes feel and what's portrayed, and, and is there a difference? Well, maybe, 
I've been thinking a lot recently about this because I think maybe nobody sees that because they don't see that in leaders. Like they don't look for it. I feel like part of my job is to is to show and articulate emotional vulnerability because I think we have this notion of of how the patriarchy styled leaders um, like single people alone in power holding very weighty responsibility being very certain about things and actually it's not really a, a style of leadership I like or can get behind I think there's there's something much more situational much more contextual about leadership distributed collaborative leadership that I'm excited by. And I think one thing I've learned in the last year is that you can be uncertain, you can change your mind, you can not know the answer to something. And it's important to be honest about that and to hold that and to not, I mean, we'd all crack up if we pretended to know everything all of the time. So for me, I think it's, um, I, I think showing emotional vulnerability and being honest about those things is really important, um, even when you're scared. Or, uh, but, but I think there's there's a gendering. You're right. There's a kind of gendering about that, which is both, which I both wish to reject, and now I guess I embrace. What do you feel about that? Well, the same as you. I'm. I sort of come down on both sides, really, which is. Well, it is interesting. One of the things I often say in rehearsals is I don't know. And I tend to, if I don't know the answer, I move on. Or I ask it at a time when somebody in the room will give me the answer, you know. And there are times when people panic and they sort of want to rescue me. That there's a, there's a sense that the leader in the room doesn't know what they're doing. And I always say, don't worry, I don't need rescuing. I'm just saying I don't know. It's not a, it's not a frightening thing. In fact, I would say it's the space for surprise that I talked about is the space if you don't know what's in there you're going to be surprised by what fills it so I agree with you but I do think uh, I would be very surprised if a man at your level would describe themselves as feeling inadequate yeah and maybe I feel sorry for them <laughs> that that's the case um, I mean, I and, and I know the difference between feeling inadequate and being inadequate, I guess. Um, and perhaps I should think more carefully about the words I choose, because what I am trying to do is, is you're right, hold space for uncertainty and risk and and not the power of not knowing. Watershed's business plan this year, because we have to write business plans in a pandemic because our funders want us to, as you know, Emma. And I, I personally, I feel it's a bit foolish to write a business plan in a pandemic but um but so we wrote an operating manual for uncertainty um, instead of a business plan and i feel like um that that's the space i want to be in is um is being known for and carving out space for that uncertainty for not knowing the power of it i've just finished a course on conflict um exploring conflict and the thing that the massive takeaways i will that will stay with me is around being curious about conflict so when something when there is conflict it's a clue to something and you know English people have run away from conflict but actually there's a, it's an exciting clue but also to navigate conflict conflict as a creative force requires the ability to change your mind and I think changing your mind is a really great leadership trait that we don't we think leaders are singular and we're not. We're we're situational and contextual. Oh, I think I think that's very exciting. I was about to say I love your curiosity, and then you use the word as well. I think, and I hate conflict, so we need to have this conversation. So, <laughs> oh, do the the conflict course was great because I think I hate conflict too. Or no, I don't hate conflict. I think I've been given rubbish tools to deal with conflict, and that what I really want to do is design for conflict, design safe spaces where people can disagree with each other, because that's the sort of you know that's the grit and excitement of humanity but also it's the truth people just don't agree and um i think partly the problem of society at the moment is we're all like shouting into a void rather than having a good conversation well i'm gonna bring in my next choice i'm gonna stick with bristol i'm gonna go porter's head this is just my chance to celebrate the culture of bristol so i'm gonna go for the classic mr runs
makes me feel funny, that song. <laughs> in a it makes way. me feel funny. It also takes me straight back. I'm 15, I'm in a car driving from Tickenham to Watersheds to see, like, a Reservoir Dogs or something. Like, it's so, such a specific, beautiful time. I've been really lucky to work a lot with Adrian Utley of Portishead in, in some of our silent film kind of um, uh, composite, like, re-looking at silent films. And he's such a talented man. It's, um, yeah, Portishead is... It's just, yeah, fun, makes you feel funny. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to grasp onto those things and hold on to them. I'm, I'm going to go back to what you were talking. I was thinking, reflecting a little bit about um, being a, a woman and how how your power, gosh, I could almost not say it. Isn't it interesting? Just almost finding it hard to use the words, how you use your power differently. And I don't I'm not in the rehearsal room with many people anymore but I do know that other directors have temperaments they they might shout or they might be frightening or they they're charismatic and I've always thought I don't feel able to do that because you would have to be certain in order to shout and say that you want something or something was wrong you'd have to be so certain that you were right because I feel that you can't back down from that place so I I protect really strongly as you say the place where you can listen and change your mind and that means that I don't think I display I don't think I have much of a temperament in that way which is and I feel that's interesting that I can't separate that from my upbringing which was as a girl so I think you know we're rewarded aren't we for being nice and conciliatory and good and all those words which I think sometimes are a challenge are a challenge because sometimes you do have to say I I'm doing this because I have to or I believe in it and you're going to come with me and it's sometimes hard to find that but but you find lots of different ways of commanding a room and commanding respect storytelling is the best way to do that isn't it it's like conjuring a world and inviting people to step with you into it um, is the best way to have those conversations and to and to show leadership I think rather I spend a lot of time managing other people's certainty (laughs) (laughs) and it's so boring it's so depressing it's like we have to do this and I, I feel like I spend quite a lot of time knitting that in into something else into 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 something more collective but um but i don't know who wants to be the person stood in a room shouting oh i know I know. And anyway, the few times that I've experimented with it, it doesn't work. Nobody believes me. There's no authenticity in it. People laugh. People just, it just does not work. So ultimately you have to work with the tools you've got, don't you? Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Go with what you're good at. So tell me about the watershed and the future and what are your hopes and what are your fears? I was, yeah, we we did. We were we were talking about that collectively because um, because it's a difficult time. There's a whole conversation about rebirth and change and um, and how you come back differently. And and part of me really really loves change and part of me thinks actually we weren't doing too badly before like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I'm interested in. It's Watershed's 40th birthday next year. Um, So what I want to do is program a year of exploration, taking us up to our 40th birthday and jumping off into what next? How as as an organisation can we be of service to our communities, um, to the people we engage with? What do they want to see? So I'm interested in our response to the climate crisis. I'm interested in conflict, as I said, like how do we programme, how do we use art to talk about conflict and bring people into a dialogue around conflict? I'm interested in in inclusion and power like how do you who programs what and how do you give up some power to get people in to program what they want rather than what we think they want um and 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 equity so 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 although i'm like i want business as usual but everything is different um (laughs) kind of but what i want what i think i've learned is is around temporality. I'm, I was, I'm, I've always been quick and I've always wanted things to happen very quickly. And I feel like what, where I am now is in a place where I think change should be slow and careful and 
and luxurious, like where people can really engage with change and, and think through its possibility. And that does require me slowing down a bit and watershed slowing down a bit. So it's um it's a funny time. But really I just want to open up on the 18th and serve some booze and watch some films. We've got amazing Oscar winners. Like, I mean, there's such great films about to come out. Yeah. From a from an industry that hasn't been doing anything you know like there's been some some stuff distributed online but not huge amounts so how exciting that Nomadland and The Father and, and other stuff will, will will be on the screen we can't wait oh, I can't wait as well and I love your quickness and I'm like you I mean I'm just impatient I feel like and it, and you've made me think because at the Globe I can remember thinking gosh I can make some really big changes really quick and I can remember thinking this is a no-brainer look what you can do if you've got the energy and you and organisation and we, we made huge change happen very very quickly we changed the demographic on stage and off in one season um, the, to we, we, we took you know for example we, I took the fact that Shakespeare only wrote 13% of his text for women and transformed it gave 50% of text to women which gives 50% of employment to women which starts to create financial equality and we did it really really quickly and I was so proud of myself and crashed and burned and I think I'm still coming to terms with the speed was one of the issues you know I, I, can, I think I did get some sage advice saying why don't you just do one thing in your first season and I was like why would you only do one thing when you can do five yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Institutions and how they reject change, <laughs> um, like how um, and how people want. Like, I, I really want change until and as long as it looks exactly like what I've always had before is um, is what I joke about about things. But yeah, the speed of change it's it's complex, isn't it? We I don't think we know what the sector is right now. You know, freelancers have had a really difficult time. Young people are feeling vulnerable and bruised and like we need to make a lot of space for them so I think there's there's a kind of sense of being humane and slowing down and stepping into some of these bigger questions I talked about I don't think we can speed through climate justice I think we've got to stop and think about it properly so I think that's exciting but maybe I'm just knackered and as soon as some people are in the bar I'll be like right here's all the things wise words what's your next song choice and why um, my my choice is this year um, by the Mountain Goats, which is um, which is kind of an anthem. Um, I was introduced the song um, when we were doing Watershed about a couple of years ago. Was doing a project called Creative Producers International, and we were working with producers from all around the world for three years. It was such a treat of a program to really get to know people. Um, and and one of the producers, Luke, shared a playlist for coping with bad times, um, and, and on it was this song. And and really, I guess I'm sharing it because if we make it through this, if we're going to make it through this year. If it kills us, is a lockdown anthem um, and I think it sort of says everything like a mantra that I have to keep keep saying to myself we'll make it through the year and I hope it doesn't kill us
want to cry yeah yeah i mean it's so unlikely for me to choose a song by white boys with guitars but somehow it like really taps into something very visceral that no like just also that thing of being in a car and speeding off into the horizon i think we all there's so many times this year when all of us have wanted to be in that car and just see a different a different horizon we are going to make it through the year. We almost have. And I'm more positive than you. You know, I, I don't think there will be social distancing. I really hope not. I can't. Um, I don't know who I am anymore because usually I'm like the, the eternal optimist. But a tiny part of me is protecting something in my heart that has hoped too many times. So I just feel like if I'm more pragmatic this time and I just wait it out, um, then, then I'll be happily surprised rather than like heartbroken when it doesn't happen i i i feel you and i'm i'm with you but i'm i'm believing in science i think i think they're saving us and we're all sort of not quite saying it but i i think they're saving us is what i feel i think that's really i got my vaccine appointment today and i was so excited about that because i because because it felt like reopening so uh, so i agree i think there are there are so many signs that things are getting better um and so much like the human capacity for hope is um is sort of undeterred which which is great uh, oh, and thank you. I feel like I, I do want to say thank you for everything that you've given to Wise Children from the start of the company, but particularly through lockdown, because it's been on Zoom. It's been really tough. We've all been agonising about issues without any ability to do anything. And I think you've navigated us with such um, care intellect and compassion and I really thank you for that because like all arts organisations and indeed all people we've had some really tough times and you're always at the end of the phone and you're always you know you do give me hope because you're always positive and you always look at, at ways out of situations that are positive and and full of joy so thank you well thank you that's that's lovely and, I, and I'm glad and it's yeah as I said it's been an absolute pleasure it always is well before I play us out my final song choice is um, it's just my current I want it to be about now because I, I think of you A as somebody really cool but I think you're so present with your digital imagination and the way that I feel that you're always looking to the horizon and the future and I find that very inspiring um, so I wanted to choose my literal um 
record of choice. I'm completely addicted to this track. So I'm going to play us out on Bruno Mars and Silk Sonic, which is Leave the Door Open. There's no meaning in it. It's just so flirtatious. And and I tell you, Claire, watch the video because honestly, if you want to feel the feels, they're such sexy boys doing such a beautiful thing. It's just the biggest gift. But before... Can I say that Claire Reddington, fate was smiling upon me when you were brought into my life and the wise children journey. You bring a fresh lens, a bright energy and an infectious sense that anything is possible. You listen, you absorb and then you inform and you guide, always, always with our best interests at heart. You are scarily clever. You are fierce, you are fearless, and you are fizzy. You give energy and you take nothing, which I think is truly generosity. You are the perfect chair and the perfect foundation for us at Wise Children to dance on. You make everything fun, but always expect us to meet your high standards and quite right too. So here's to you, here's to our incredible board, to rigour, to accountability, to good governance and to a strong moral compass, as well as to friendship. Thank you. You're a rock star of the arts and I salute you and I thank you. Having a kind of cry now. Thanks, Emma. (laughs) I'm going to leave us to the wonderful Bruno Mars.
Party and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.